MSLD with Crowbots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. and welcome to the Robots Podcast. Today, we will be visiting the Midwest Speech and Language Days workshop, which took place in early May 2017 in Chicago. The goal of this two-day event is to increase awareness of speech and language research going on in the region and to foster collaboration among different sites. Our interviewer Mike Singh was there for us and spoke to a number of attendees. First up, let's hear her conversation with Michael White of Ohio State University, with whom she spoke about question interpretation in a dialogue system. Hi, welcome to the Robots Podcast. Hi. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Michael White from the Department of Linguistics at The Ohio State University. Um, The work uh, we're presenting here today is part of an ongoing effort with our collaborators in computer science and in, in the medical school. Uh, we've been working on a system for helping early stage medical students learn better interviewing skills by working with a, a virtual patient. So uh, typically what they do before they work with real patients is they learn how to interview uh, what they call standardized patients, which are basically actors pretending to be patients. But standardized patients, you know, they're expensive and they're not always available. A virtual patient can be available you know, 24-7 uh, and can provide some instant feedback on, on their questioning, whether they're asking the right questions or not. Uh, so how do you go about tackling this? So uh, the interesting thing is that our colleagues in the med school ended up um, developing a system on their own before they even realized there were other people on campus that specifically study language technology. So did and, they make like a chatbot or something? Right, so they used this kind of older chatbot technology to make the dialogue system initially, and it's worked well enough to, you know, so for example, the medical students uh, almost always can figure out what's wrong with the virtual patient. They can make the differential diagnosis, and it works well enough to provide useful feedback on, on their questioning. So that's that's actually been validated in some previous work. So what we've been working on is trying to use some techniques that have been developed, uh, especially machine learning techniques that have been developed in the language technology world, the idea being to provide a more robust interpretation, right? So the idea is the med student asks the question and the virtual patient is supposed to understand what it is and respond appropriately. Uh, the particular case we're looking at is um, a guy that hurt his back uh, helping some friends uh, move furniture and he's programmed to understand 359 different questions, right? So there's a lot of things that he's trying to recognize and it's hard to do pattern matching, so by hand to write some patterns that are going to always match the right question. So their system gets about 80% correct and then we have this machine learning system that does sometimes better than their system but sometimes worse. So this work is about analyzing somewhat uh, where it does better and where it does worse. So what you're saying is their um, their system it can understand some s- smaller subset of questions, but there are a lot more questions available in the world, right? An infinite amount. So you're trying to make it so that other questions can be understood. 
Well, yes or, or no, maps right? to so, existing questions? Right, exactly, to map to existing questions. So uh, the if, if you think about it from the content author's perspective, right, so they have a number of virtual patients, actually, that are different cases. They have different things wrong with them. And what they do is they imagine what are the questions people are going to ask and, and what would a reasonable response be. So for this particular patient, they came up with 359 distinct questions that people might reasonably ask this, right? But they could ask it in a zillion different ways. So what's essentially the same question could be asked in, in, in so many different ways, it's hard to anticipate all the different ways that the medical students might actually ask what's essentially the same question. So in some sense, it's kind of a, a paraphrasing problem. So the, the med student's going to ask a question, and can you recognize that as a paraphrase of one of the questions that you were expecting them to ask? And if so, then you give that response, the appropriate response there, right? So, uh, so th- there's you know there's a there's a finite number of questions that can say something sensible to if it if it doesn't match anything it's going to say I'm sorry I don't understand that and you know they mostly stay on topic sometimes the students will say kind of random things about the weather or the Buckeye sports or something but you know he can give a few responses to that but he can't, he can't do open ended conversation but talking about his specific uh, you know. Um, sore back and what he's tried and, and whether there's pain in his leg and all that kind of stuff. He can answer all the sensible questions that they oh, might Oh, so all ask. of this is for the uh, the virtual patient, building the virtual patient. Yeah. So we want to do something that doesn't work just with this specific patient, but where you could train a whole bunch of different virtual patients without having to write the patterns by hand. But what we found is that the pattern matching actually works remarkably well in cases where our machine learning approach doesn't work as well. So they actually work quite well together. That's the specific result we have in this paper is that, you know, if if the pattern matching system, like the chatbot system, works at about 80%, we can get 80% accuracy in in figuring out what you really meant by your question. We can get that all the way up to 88% by combining the machine learning approach with the chatbot approach. So that's a 40% error reduction, which is pretty impressive. It was more than we were expecting. And how do you know how well it's performing? Is there, um, do you have a data set of questions that have all been labeled as to which one it's Right, so that's one of the really hard parts, really labor-intensive parts of this work, right? So they, for this work, um, so the 94 dialogues with first-year med students were collected, right? And you have the automatic interpretation from the chatbot system, which we determined was right 80% of the time by actually having to go through and see, was, did it get the right interpretation or not? So one of our colleagues in the med school had to go through every all 4,330 turns of those 94 dialogues and, and see whether you know, the system interpreted the question correctly or not. So that was the data that we were then using the, for the machine learning system. right? So we divide that up into data to train it on and then data to test it on and see how well we can predict the right interpretation of the question. So we couldn't actually do quite as well. So our system does about 77% using kind of a standard architecture. But the interesting thing is they work in such different ways that the system combination works quite well together. They span different spaces so they can help each other. Now, how this connects to kind of some larger themes in language technologies is what we find in terms of where our system doesn't work is that these questions are not all asked evenly, right? So there's a few questions that everyone asks, and there's some more questions that a lot of people ask. And then there's a lot of questions that are not crazy, but just don't get asked that often. And our system does really poorly on those fairly rarely occurring questions, whereas the the pattern matching system, the chatbot system, is a bit more even across that kind of frequency distribution. So what we're going to do in future work, and this kind of analysis of our errors is motivating 
really a need to augment the training data. So our system, the machine learning system, all machine learning systems are really data hungry. So we want to provide it with more data, but not just by going out and having more dialogues with med students, because they're just going to be asking the same questions. We need different ways of asking the more infrequent questions. So what we're going to try in the future is automatically coming up with different ways of asking the questions, especially those that aren't asked that often. And uh, we can check with our colleagues in the med school. Is it, does this really mean the same thing if you try to say it this way or that way? So you mean automatic ways of generating questions? Yeah, so, oh. so automatic paraphrasing. So automatically generating other ways, right? So the, 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 the physician says, okay, well, someone might ask this patient this question, like, do you take any pills, right? But that's just one way of asking that question. Um, you know, are you taking any medication would be another way of basically asking the same thing. But you can imagine a whole lot of different ways. And it's tedious for them to come up with a hundred different ways to ask that same question. Whereas if you could automatically generate lots of ways of asking the same question and, you know, People maybe ask them which ones really mean the same thing. Like, yes, no, yeah, this yeah. is the same. So that's the goal, to be able to rapidly expand the training data, but much more evenly across all the questions, not just the ones that we're already getting a lot of, you know, naturally occurring questions. So that's where we're going in the future with this. That's what we... So this is partly an interim result of system combination, which is nice if you combine kind of diverse technologies that often work well together. But finding better ways to, to get more data to train uh, machine learning systems is, is really uh, a key problem and one that we think we can make some progress on in this domain. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Next, Mike Singh met up with Dimitri Dleiger of Loyola University, Chicago, to discuss extricating patient timelines from doctor's notes. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Hello. Uh, can you introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Dmitry Dligaj, and I'm an assistant professor at Loyola University, Chicago. Great. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about your work? Yes, of course. Uh, I um, work on uh, various projects that have to do with applying natural language processing, NLP, uh, to the clinical domain. So this particular work has to do with uh, extracting timelines from medical records. So timelines, uh, basically, uh, basically the, the idea is to figure out where, at what time each event that happened to the patient occurred. So we'd like to know, for instance, that uh, if it says somewhere in the notes that the patient was diagnosed with cancer in uh, May 2010, uh, we'd like to be able to automatically determine that uh, that diagnosed event took place in May 2010. Is this helpful? Yeah, so you want to understand when uh, events happen. Yes, exactly. Uh, and there's a lot of information to that effect in the medical data, in the medical, in the clinical records, in, in electronic health records in general. And these are composed of doctors' notes and doctors whatnot. Notes, yes, exactly. So these are the notes that doctors type into a computer when you uh, see them. Okay. So, uh, and many people are working on this particular problem. So, what we're trying to do, we're trying to apply uh, neural architecture, these so-called uh, deep learning architectures, uh, to this problem. Uh, so, in particular, we are looking at applying two very popular neural models to this problem: uh, uh, so-called uh, convolutional neural network, uh, which is often abbreviated as uh, CNN and the long short-term memory network, which is LST. 
Okay. So uh, the problem with uh, applying these models to this data is that it's uh, there's been some work on applying these models for generic text classification problems, but we're trying to uh, we're trying to uh, adapt this problem for uh, what's called relation extraction. So our main task is uh, relation extraction. Basically, we'd like to uh, take two events in a sentence and determine if there is any relationship between those. Given two events, you want to know what the relationship between them is, so if one happened during the other or before or after. Precisely. And if there is a time expression, what we call time expression, something like uh, May of 2010, in the sentence, uh, we would like to see if there are any events in the sentence that happened during that time. So, like, maybe, I don't know, patient quit smoking in uh, 2005. So we'd like to extract uh, the fact that the quitting smoking event happened in 2005. So that's the basic task, right? So, and we take a very, very sim simple approach. Uh, we, uh, uh, so like I said, there is some work on using convolutional neural networks, for instance, for text classification. So we just need to uh, figure out how to use the same architecture for relation extraction. So what we do, we take the events and we mark them with XML tags. And now we have a sequence of words in which the events are marked with uh, XML tags. Of course, your listeners cannot see cannot see this, but... Uh, so what are the tags composed of? About this, you're more than welcome to post uh, into this paper. So we just mark these events and time expression with XML tags and we feed them into a convolutional neural network. And it turns out that this approach works quite well. In fact, um, it works better than a more traditional approach to the same problem, which, uh, is, uh, as, uh, which is a machine learning classifier that uses a lot of features that took a long time to develop. So we, I was a part of a research group at Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School, and we worked for several years on developing various features that are helpful for uh, this problem and uh, it took us years and eventually we came up with a system that uses a support vector machine classifier with these features and that worked fairly well. We tested it on uh, a publicly available data set and uh, it was a state-of-the-art system. It worked basically better than all the other systems out there at some point. And so now we tried this neural approach and it worked even better, so, which is surprising because it doesn't have any of these complicated uh, linguistic features that take a long time to develop. Instead, we're just feeding sequences. Okay, so um, before you had to generate features uh, manually, essentially, and then um, build a model around that, but now you just feed in a sequence of text which has tags saying which are the actual events, and uh, you can extract um, the relationships just from that. Yes, pretty much. So uh, that's the beauty of this approach because you no longer have to worry about featuring your name. Well, but the dirty secret of this work, and pre as pretty much uh, as is the case with pretty much any deep learning work, these models, these neural models, are very hard to uh, tune. So what I mean by that, uh, these models have a huge number of hyperparameters, and these hyperparameters need to be tuned for the model to work well. And so. Uh, it takes a lot of time to come up with the right set of hyperparameters uh, that results in good performance. Uh, so that's, that's a warning to anybody who wants to get into deep learning. It's a buzzword, but these models are very difficult to work with.
so where do you see this work going? So the ultimate goal is to build uh, patient timelines. To timelines, as I mentioned at the beginning uh, of this interview. So, uh, and this is a step toward in that direction uh, because w what we're doing here, we're just extracting the relations between events. But ideally, we'd like to take every event. Uh, that's mentioned in a patient's record and put it on a timeline. So, for instance, you know, if a patient was, uh, uh, let's say, diagnosed with cancer, uh, that uh, diagnostic, event, di diagnosed event would be at some point on the timeline, and then hopefully after that, maybe the patient, the patient went through some treatment like chemotherapy, it would be, you know, further, let's say, to the left on the timeline, and then finally, hopefully, the patient recovered, which would be even further to the left, right? So you can come up with these complicated timelines, and they can be used for all kinds of stuff in, uh, in medicine, right? So it would be extremely helpful for a physician to look at a timeline like this, because it would basically present a summary of what happened to the patient, right? Because a huge problem in medicine right now is that there's so much data for a patient, and doctors simply don't have time to look at uh, all the previous history, uh, you know, what happened to the patient. And if we had a, uh, some sort of a temporal summary of what happened to the patient, that would be extremely helpful because it would be a very easy way to visualize all the main events that happened to the patient. Okay, and then you can also see whether something caused something else. Exactly, right. Because, right, and, and if, do, if we do this on a large scale, we could do all sorts of data mining, you know, figuring out, you know, what... Uh, are maybe uh, side effects of drugs are, or uh, let's say, I don't know, what are some possible uh, comorbidities for some disease and stuff like that. So there are many, many applications. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. And last but not least, Dennis Newman Griffith of Ohio State University spoke to Mike Singh about connecting words and phrases to relevant medical topics. Hi, welcome to Robots Podcast. Thank you. Uh, can you introduce yourself? Yes, so uh, my name is Dennis Newman Griffiths. I am a PhD student at The Ohio State University. I'm in the Speech and Language Technologies Lab. And I do research on, uh, well, biomedical natural language processing. I'm particularly interested in semantic modeling and kind of lear learning embedded representations of text. Okay, so can you tell me more about um, a project that you're currently working on? Yes, so what I'm working on at the moment is uh, learning representations, learning embedded representations for biomedical concepts. And one of the issues with uh, working in biomedical text is that the things that are being discussed, or the really salient things that are being discussed, are somewhat independent of the words that are being used to describe them. So, for example, you may have something that talks about Lou Gehrig's disease and then something else that talks about amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. Now, these are two phrases uh, that aren't particularly compositional and that don't have any overlap with each other, but they mean the same thing. So it would be very nice for biomedical applications to be able to have a single representation of what that underlying thing is. So what I'm working on is taking, uh, taking advantage of the information that is in the Unified Medical Language System, which is an, uh, an expert curated resource that um, does exactly that, where you have these 
lists of biomedical vocabularies and UMLS has mappings in between them. So you, you kind of have Lou Gehrig's disease and ALS are the same thing, and so we can link them to some unique identifier. So is it kind of like a thesaurus for medical uh, Yes, for it, is, medical it is exactly a thesaurus. It, it's actually referred to as the metathesaurus because it's kind of a thesaurus on top of a thesaurus. Um, and so what that, what that provides is a resource that says here are different text forms that are referring to the same underlying concept. So what I'm interested in doing and what I've done for this project is to kind of pull out from that, from the UMLS, um, that mapping between concepts and strings and use the strings basically as a weak supervision for mentions of the concept. So I will go through, so I go through a corpus, say, uh, the PubMed collection of biomedical abstracts, which is about 15 million non-empty documents, and you've got about 3 billion tokens, so it's fairly large. And what I can do is go through that corpus and look for any occurrence of any of these phrases. So I know that, you know, Lou Gehrig's disease is something that I'm interested in having a representation for. So I can look for any time that Lou Gehrig's disease is mentioned. And I can take any mention, any you know mention of that phrase as a signal that, with some probability, there might be you know it might be a mention of this underlying concept. So Lou Gehrig's disease is kind of a bad example because it's very specific, but cold is a much better one. So like with cold, cold can mean cold the temperature. It can mean like having a common cold. It can also be an acronym for chronic obstructive lung disease, although that one's not very common. But so you still you have this issue where you know if you see cold, it might be any one of these different things, or it might be something else. It might not be. It might not be related. So you have to kind of make this assumption that there's some probability distribution over the things that it could represent in terms of that specific mention. So what I'm doing for for my work is I'm just saying that's a uniform probability distribution, and so I'm going to go through and anytime I see the phrase cold. I'm going to treat that as an occurrence of each of these different concepts, of the temperature, of the common cold, of chronic obstructive lung disease, and use that, uh, use the context of that occurrence as a training signal to learn a representation for each of those concepts. Okay, so then during training, you don't make any assumptions about which word maps specifically to which one concept. We just say... It could belong to any number of concepts. Correct. So it's it's a very it's a very permissive approach. It's just kind of saying this can be anything, so let's pretend it's everything. Um, now that seems very noisy, and it is, it is very noisy because these, you know, any particular occurrence is in fact only mentioning one thing. But what this ends up with, because the um, sets of strings that can represent these different concepts are very different from one another, what you end up with at the end is representations of these concepts that are still quite informative and that, that are very different from one another. So cold, the temperature, ends up being very different from the common cold because you have these other strings that can represent it. And the information that's provided by these, uh, the contexts in which the phrases appear ends up giving you some of the semantic properties of the concept. So, for example, you can look at um, semantic similarity and relatedness of pairs of concepts. And these, um, these embeddings that you can learn with this rather noisy training method still give you uh, actually fairly close to state-of-the-art um, results on these semantic similarity and relatedness cases. So then do you get something like the common cold is similar to the stomach flu or uh, yes, things of exactly. that nature? Okay. Yeah. And so you end up with, you know, 
the common cold is much more similar to the stomach flu than it is to cold the temperature because of the, the information that's coming down from these representative strings for those concepts. Cool. Uh, and so where do you see the work going in the future? So where, where I'd really like to go with this is figuring out, so doing the disambiguation step. So if you give me, you know, if you give me a mention of one of these phrases, being able to say unambiguously which of the different senses of that phrase, so which of the different senses of cold is being described here, just using that, uh, the mention that you supply and the representation that I've learned for these different senses of it. What would be an example of someone using this? So, um, one example of someone using this would be like if you want to extract the uh, specific clinical findings that are mentioned in a whole body of um, health records for one of your patients. If, if you're trying to do like patient cohort identification, where you're trying to find people that meet certain criteria, this can be part of a pipeline for um, recognizing what specific clinical concepts are mentioned in the text of those documents, and that can then let you um, build inference tools on top of that for identifying the people who meet your criteria. Okay, so like being able to find, for instance, everyone who has had ALS and have developed certain symptoms. Exactly, exactly. Awesome, thank you. Thank you very much. And that's the end of our visit to the Midwest Speech and Language Days. As always, just visit robohub.org for lots more information, news and views on robotics. And we'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. MSLD with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.